Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. At some point, you make a choice about who you are and what you want. My wife, Debbie, and I recently started watching Euphoria on HBO. It's a show I had kind of avoided because I had seen part of the pilot when it originally aired. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't for me. I mean, high school sucked the first time around. I had no desire to go back. Man, I hate high school. But since the show debuted, people have continued talking about it. And so I wanted to understand and be part of the conversation. And I decided to give it another chance, which worked out really well because this time around, I am loving the show. First of all, Ashtray. Give me a show about him and him alone. I need nothing else. So we're five or six episodes into the first season, and I have to say I am so stressed out for every single young woman on this show in every episode. Between the predatory men and their absolutely terrible decision-making, a little bit of addiction and some other regular adolescent issues, they have me watching half of each episode with my fingers over my eyes and the other half shouting, oh my God, baby, what are you doing? Luminary. This is the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. I am Roxanne Gay, your favorite bad feminist, and today I want to talk about edibles. The lowest point of my first experience with edibles was probably when I tied myself to my bed with a sheet because I worried that I was going to fall off the bed and then off the end of the world. I don't have a lot of experience with drugs. I was raised to be a good girl and old habits die hard. I went to boarding school and then fancy college, so I always had access to good drugs. But I was terrified that the first time I tried drugs, I would die. And then my parents would find out I had done drugs and my ghost would have to live with that shame for all of eternity. And then I moved to California, where things are a lot more mellow. One night I had dinner with a friend and her friend who owned several dispensaries, and this friend gave me an edible. And I knew that several months later, marijuana would be legal, so law-abiding citizen, aka nerd that I am, I decided to wait because I didn't want to break the law. I recognize how lame that sounds. I really, really do. So the following January, marijuana was finally legal, and this was like four years ago. Dispensaries that looked like slick apple stores were all bright light and wide spaces, concrete floors, lots of natural wood. They were all open and the staff in these beautiful places would ask you, like, what kind of high are you looking for, man? And they would walk you carefully through the different kinds of weed and CBD products available. It was delightful. And then they would put your purchases in a cute little shopping bag and you could simply just go on your way. Now, if you didn't want to go to a store for whatever reason, you can just order the weed on the internet and someone will just bring it to your front door. And of course, all of this is happening while thousands of black men who were incarcerated for marijuana possession or dealing remain incarcerated. It's kind of a bitter, jagged pill to swallow to see who benefits from certain kinds of legislation and who gets left behind. But I digress. In January of 2018, I had surgery, and one night when the pain pills had run out, I was alone in my apartment and bored and still tender at the incisions and feeling sorry for myself. And so I found those edibles that the friend of a friend had given me, and I carefully read the instructions, and it said that the appropriate dose was three small squares of chocolate. I consulted the internet, and the internet seemed to agree, and so I took all three squares of chocolate, and I was really ready for a nice, mellow, long sleep that I could sink into. And the squares tasted like chocolate infused with weed, which is to say they tasted disgusting. I felt nothing. I continued watching TV. After 45 minutes, I had decided it had been way too long since I received the edibles and they had lost their potency. You should also know I hadn't eaten solid food in more than three weeks, so my tolerance was at an all-time low. I was so very, very wrong. An hour later, the room started spinning wildly, and I very much wanted it to stop. 
So I took a deep breath and I sat up. I held on to the edge of my couch, took a sip of water. Then I decided that it was probably best for me to be in bed. So I stood slowly and walked even more slowly to my bedroom. I lay down and I closed my eyes. That was one of many mistakes because once I was horizontal, my heart started pounding. I was convinced I was having a heart attack. And I just knew my mother was going to get this terrible phone call informing her that her daughter had died of drugs. What you need to know about my mom is that she has this really ridiculous thing about marijuana. She has never tasted a drop of alcohol. She has never smoked up. But she reads about alcohol and drugs extensively and believes they are unholy substances that are going to bring about any person's downfall. She has a real problem with weed in particular, and it's so hilarious and almost adorable if it wasn't so annoying. She will, in the random conversations just that we're having, will hold forth at length about marijuana as a dangerous gateway drug drug as the root of so many great societal problems. And I'm like, mom, nobody smoking weed is causing any problems. I assure you, if she smells marijuana anywhere, she will loudly declare that she smells marijuana. She is suspicious of anyone who looks like they partake and her hatred for marijuana makes me wish I enjoyed it more just to be contrary. Anytime she starts arguing against it, I find myself passionately defending it like it's my job. The desire to rebel, I suppose, never dies. So there I was, and the bed was spinning in one direction, and the room was spinning in the other. I was desperately thirsty, and on my nightstand there was a bottle of water, and I had about three sips left, and so I knew I was going to have to ration those sips, because I had no idea when it was going to be safe to leave my bed. The spinning got worse, and I worried that I was going to fall off, so I did the only thing that made sense at the time. I tied myself to the bed with my flat sheet so I would be safe and secure. And I tied myself really tightly because I was so scared. And then I took a little tiny, tiny slip of water, and I wondered what would happen when I needed to use the bathroom. I sat up and swung my feet off the bed, pressing my toes into the carpet. I stood, and this was the second mistake. I was still, but the room was not. In addition to the spinning, the floor was undulating in waves. I looked at the bathroom, which was only four steps away, and I wondered if there was enough length in the sheet to keep me secure while I made my way to the toilet. Unfortunately, there was not. I only made it as far as the sink, and I knew that I could not risk releasing myself, so I got back in bed with a full bladder, and I wondered if I should phone a friend, but I was mortified by just how poorly I was handling what I thought was a really small dosage of edibles. So my heart was pounding and I was dying. I just knew I was dying. I wanted to write notes to everyone I loved, but it was really hard to make my fingers work, so I just gave up on that. I hoped that they knew I loved them. And I called 911 and I said, calmly, I thought that I was dying of a heart attack. And could they please come get me so I could die in a hospital instead of my apartment where it could be days before my body was discovered? The dispatcher asked me a few questions and I said I was home alone and that my front door was locked. So they were going to just have to bust it down. He asked me if I could find my wallet and open the door. And I said I couldn't because I was tied to my bed. And I said they were going to have to bring a sledgehammer because it was a really strong door. And then I said, it's only my third time ever using marijuana products. And I waited until it was legal because that information felt so important at the time. The dispatcher assured me that the EMTs are going to be there soon. And that's when time refracted. <laughs> Hours later, I was still dying and no one had come to save me. So I called 911 again to let them know I was still dying. And they said, ma'am, it has been two minutes <laughs> since you last called. They also said that the EMTs were actually at my front door already, but I needed to let them in. I reminded them that I was tied to the bed. And the EMT said, well, could you please try to free yourself? Which I guess I did. I have no <laughs> idea how. So then I took about five hours holding on to the wall like a spy in a spy movie. And I eventually made it to the front door. Maybe another five hours later, I opened the door. And there were a bunch of incredibly hot firemen <laughs> because it was Los Angeles where pretty much everyone is incredibly attractive. And I explained that I had waited until marijuana was legal. 
and they just seemed genuinely sad <laughs> that my first edible experience was so terrible, and it was just so kind of them. I also explained I was, you know, recovering from surgery, and from then on, I was in and out of consciousness. And then I was in an ambulance in boxers and a t-shirt and flip-flops and stitches, and then I was in a very dirty, grim downtown hospital, and then the nurses were laughing at me, good-naturedly, for having such a bad trip, and then I was in a hospital room with a woman who was drug-seeking and down on her luck and dealing with kidney issues and husband issues. And so long story short, I spent two nights in the hospital and I was still high when I left. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I've been thinking about edibles because my guest today is the one and only Seth Rogen. As many people know, Seth's experiences with weed are extensive and much more fortunate than my own. Age my little brother. Is it just me or did he seem upset? Seth first came to public attention in 1999 with the television show Freaks and Geeks. He was still a teenager playing a teenager and he was funny as hell. He wasn't just a pretty face, though. With his friend and longtime collaborator Evan Goldberg, he started writing the movie Superbad, also about high school. And by the time he made that movie, he was a little too old to play the lead, so he played an inappropriate cop. Was he African? No. He was like you. He was Jewish. So we have an African Jew wearing a hoodie. Tonight is our last... Over the years, Seth Rogen has been incredibly busy, not just acting, but writing and producing. To say the least, he is prolific. 
and he is also an increasingly accomplished potter and a marijuana connoisseur. In 2019, in Canada, he co-founded Houseplant, a business that combines those two passions, weed and beautifully made accessories that help people to smoke it. And in 2021, Houseplant started doing business here in the United States. He talks about all of this and more in his hilarious and often moving memoir, Yearbook, which also came out in 2021. Seth Rogen, thank you so much for joining the Roxanne Gay Agenda. Thank you so much for having me. That story is uh, unbelievable. <laughs> I'm so, I'm it was, so sorry that happened. It was wild. <laughs> it was just so, so wild. And I couldn't believe it was happening to me and that I was so ridiculous as to call the the um 911 and then the whole shebang but I was just like I don't want to die at you're, home. you're not the first person that I've encountered who has called 911 from eating weed edibles and yeah uh, I was just so paranoid and I, I was so bad and I, I've, I've as you've said I've done a lot of drugs throughout my life the only <laughs> times I have felt like I truly wished like i could make it end was from eating weed food like it it is it is a different thing (laughs) it really is i will take a smoking high any day but an edible i'm done with edibles and edibles are done with me i've had some really bad my dad once accidentally ate a very powerful weed brownie that i'd left in my refrigerator and uh and he thought he was dying and and it was a similar (laughs) thing And, and my mother called like really in a in a state and was like there's something seriously wrong with your father and then i was like did he eat a brownie from my fridge and they were like yes i was like that's what happened that he's not dying (laughs) you don't know what's dangerous until you try it and then you're tied to the bed (laughs) that's my motto so last year i think or maybe the year before you sent me a beautiful piece of pottery it's a small vase it's green and yellow and it's just really really lovely and of course because this is a podcast i can't show everyone but I have been loving watching your pottery journey and everyone I know, well, not everyone, but two of my friends have already started taking pottery lessons. I'm ready to get a wheel and get going. How on earth did you get into pottery? <laughs> um, my wonderful wife, Lauren, actually, is is how I got into pottery. She, um, I've had a lot of hobbies over the years. I guess I've always like, mm-hmm. uh, like, and I've always wanted to like make art in like some sort of tangible art in some way. And I'm just like a bad painter and a bad drawer like i just like it didn't it doesn't come out of my hand what's in my head and um and uh, yeah and then finally after years of imploring me to try it we like went and took a pottery class and um in west hollywood and and i just loved it and and very quickly we got our own wheels and and i just found myself like really kind of taking to it and really enjoying it and and I, yeah, it, it, and I was getting better at. It. I found like that was really nice that there was like a market improvement, which I think is not something that I think like as as a writer and you know filmmaker, like I can't I can't yeah. definitively tell you I'm getting better. I would like to. I think some things are getting better, but like mm-hmm. I don't. I can't always say like I don't always assume the next thing I make will be the best thing I've made. You know what I mean? But I think with a craft like pottery, what was nice is like you you generally ascend. Like, I think because mm-hmm. there's like a craft, a craft like uh, level to it rather than it being purely creative, there's like an improvement you see in yourself that I that I find to be very gratifying and and and, and also very like uh, it, it is orienting, I think, in a in a in a world that I find uh, disorienting at times. <laughs> the world is disorienting in so many ways. What does throwing clay offer that? writing and performing and producing doesn't like what is the thing that's unique about pottery well a few it's very singular like i think like i love how collaborative filmmaking is but it is by Mm -hmm. nature like very collaborative and you are working Mm -hmm. with a lot of people all the time to like bring your vision to life and there's something that's kind of nice about just sitting there yourself and doing this thing, you know? Um, and the idea of creating something very tangible is very nice. Um, and, and actually like something I can like give to people like, um, and then they will have it. Like, I think, um, like a movie or, you know, things like that, like they're by nature, something everyone has. And and it's interesting to Mm -hmm. be able to give people things that only they have, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, it's different in a lot of ways, but I actually think I've started to learn things from it that I can apply to my other jobs in that, like, 
I do approach it with like, no, because I don't rely on it for any like financial <laughs> income or, you know, and, and, and I, I, I never like truly aspire to be like a ceramicist really, you know what I mean? But so I want to get great at it and better at it, but I have no like rules I'm following and I have no like uh, structure I'm following. And I think there has been something about that that I found really freeing um, and something that I now look at things I'm writing or getting ready to produce. And I'm like, why, like, why are we being rigid with this when, when, mm -hmm. when it doesn't have to be rigid, we can kind of do whatever we want, you know? Um, yeah. That's interesting that it's like giving you that permission to maybe be less rigid with things that kind of demand a certain amount of discipline. Yeah. I, and I like that idea of having at least one artistic outlet where nothing's really at stake other than your own pleasure. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Because when you like and some people on Instagram yeah. saying they don't like my face. Yeah, it's really not. Uh, <laughs> it is low stakes. There's one thing that Astramus has said to me that I that, that I that I now apply to everything. And I think it's something you've probably noticed as someone who collects um, ceramics, as I know you do, is like, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people pick up a ceramic thing and they look at the bottom of it. Yeah. It's kind of where you learn a lot about the person who made it weirdly. It's like where they'll often put mm -hmm. their mark. You kind of see how refined the thing is. Is it like very well refined? Is there a perfect little foot? Is it kind of a scrappy thing? Did they think like, it's the bottom. I don't have to make it perfect looking. Or did they think like, no, it's the bottom, but I will make it mm -hmm. look. I, I want it to be representative of the piece as a whole. And I think that that is also like a cue I've taken where like, even the bottom, like the thing you're not even supposed to be looking at is in many ways, like the most indicative of what you have made. <laughs> and I think like creatively, it's something I now can't stop thinking of is like, even yeah. though it's the bottom, it doesn't mean it's not an opportunity to show it, it, it's what, whether you like it or not, it will show people what your sensibility is. Do you know what your sensibility is? I think uh, it's try. I I, uh, <laughs> I think it is. I like uh, <laughs> that there is some technical refinement to it, but I also mm -hmm. try to take big creative swings and and do things that I don't think other people are doing, which I do think mm -hmm. applies to a lot of things I do. And, and sometimes it's to the detriment of the finished product and, and sometimes it's not. <laughs> yeah, not, a, not all experiments are going to no. work out. So how do you teach yourself newer things now? Are you still taking classes or are you just experimenting in your studio? Yeah, both. I've taken, workshop, I've taken workshops from people. I've had people come and teach mm -hmm. me things. I took a glaze making online workshop with my wife, Lauren. Um, and that's also been a very interesting thing is like people come over a lot of our friends like um, will come over, and we have a we have a little studio in our garage, um, and mm -hmm. so we can kind of show people how to do it. And we give them little lessons, and like it's really interesting to see that a lot of adults have kind of like tuned themselves out to like learning new things, or don't like being put in the position of like knowing nothing <laughs> and mm -hmm. and then trying a thing because i think by the time you're like you know in your mid-30s you're kind of like i'm done with that like i yeah. I, I know what i could do <laughs> what i can't do and if i don't feel like i could do it i'm probably not gonna try it you know what i mean um but it, it, and so it's really interesting to see how some people and and i and i now look back and think like oh it's nice that i try to learn a new thing when we were almost 40 we were like oh let's like really dedicate to learning a new craft and really try to take it like mm -hmm. not seriously but like really try to get good at it you know um and yeah it's interesting to see that like some adults are just very turned off by even like the concept of of being taught something new at this age <laughs> yeah you know i think a lot of times it's that I think a lot of us remember what it felt like to have to know very little. And unfortunately, I still know I know very yeah. little. And I think that idea of having to surrender expertise can be very overwhelming. Yeah. Like, what do you mean I have to, like, start at the beginning again? It's, uh, you know, during the pandemic, I think a lot of us took up different yeah. creative hobbies. And so I needed something that there was absolutely nothing at stake for and so i've been teaching myself how to decorate cakes amazing <laughs> it's just, oh my god it's so amazing it's just so relaxing and it's so fun and there's all kinds of little tools like and it's a really intense world yeah. like youtube is um truly a whole world unto itself it's been humbling because my cakes are fucking ugly <laughs> but they like pottery i can definitely see a trajectory of improvement yeah. 
And I mean, I, you know, I'm going to get there because it's not my full time thing. It never will yeah. be. And so I don't need to rush it. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's humbling. That, it is do you use like humbling. a banding wheel? Like, uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. I do use a banding wheel. And, you know, I love to put my little creations on Instagram and there's always fucking Fred 26. Yeah, who's exactly. like, that's ugly. <laughs> and I'm like, Fred, do you have a mirror? Come on. Don't worry about my cake. Don't worry about my Lauren always talks about like a mug she posted like two years ago that was like great. And there was one comment that was like that handle though. And she was just like, every time she's just like that motherfucker, that handle though. What do you, should you make a fucking handle? Yeah. It's always interesting. Everyone's an expert. Exactly. Speaking of expertise, like when it comes to commenting on something someone else has done it's all, i wouldn't you know someone was like oh you know you're piping and i just think do you know how hard it is to like hold a piping bag steady and keep the frosting firm enough to like make a flower it's not as easy as it looks exactly very you. hard <laughs> try pulling a handle <laughs> <laughs> i well i've been watching uh I'm actually in the middle of the second season of Blown Away. I don't know if oh, you've ever yeah, seen it. Oh, yeah, I watch it. all that stuff. It's oh, amazing. my God. It's so yeah. addictive. I had no idea how elaborate like glass blowing and making ceramics was. It's a whole thing. And it's really impressive. Yeah. And I love how they make it seem like everything is at stake from yeah. one week to the next. <laughs> That's very, and, um, it's a very American yeah, the reality English show. show. Yeah. yeah, there's this English show about pottery and it's a bunch of ceramicists and you know, we have to make sixteen plates and they have to all be exactly the same. And I just get so deeply, deeply invested. Oh yeah. Oh, hold on one second. <laughs> Sorry, my dog just came in. Yeah. Um, now, I, one of the things I know you recently started, not recently, but it came to the United States last year, Houseplant. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed the, that there are some pottery pieces, the Robert Lugo, yeah. um, which I bought and love. And he's incredible. He's amazing. He actually made me a vase with my face on it and my book cover. <laughs> and I just was like, oh, this is the best. This is the best. Um, what is it that opening Houseplant has done for you? I, I think a lot of people were not necessarily surprised because you are such a, a great advocate for weed but like the records the advocacy yeah. you know what what are you really trying to accomplish with houseplant a few things i think the most important things are we want to be a great company we want to I, we i often say we want to be the company that we deserves and i think mm -hmm. um i think weed is truly like one of the great products there is and i think in a world where like our headphones are kind of treated very nicely and things that are not nearly as nice or as good products or things that are as additive to like my personal day-to-day -day, um journey are, are treated like um respectfully and and are given like their due that's that's mm -hmm. kind of um you know that 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 to me is very important and culturally and legally as you were saying like weed has a long way to go and we want you know to exist in a world where you know there isn't this like terrible uh you know like underlying side to all of this which is that it's still federally illegal in america there's tons <laughs> of people in jail for it um it is often used as a way to get a first offense on people and then to put mm -hmm. them in the system and then to keep you know keep them there for uh, their entire lives potentially it's terrible so you know th that's something that is also incredibly important is bringing as much focus to that and advocacy to that and just literally supporting these organizations like last prisoner project and um mm -hmm. you know uh trying to directly do what we can to you know i'm screaming at chuck schumer on the phone literally to, to try <laughs> to get them to um change these laws um mm -hmm. and uh yeah i mean and america has a long way to go and it's not something i fully understand i, mean, I moved to the states when i was 17 you know um mm -hmm. and, and i'm from probably one of the most like weed friendly cities in the world and it was was a huge like learning curve for me to understand truly like how all the weed laws that we know them are based on racism and how mm -hmm. like and and that's it and they, the only reason it's illegal is racist the only reason that it, it, and and that is not something that i fully understood until i had lived in america for a long time and even that trickled down to canada and that is why it's illegal mm -hmm. in canada as well um mm -hmm. and i think most canadians don't understand that 
at all, you know? Um, and I think most people don't understand that at all. Like, I, I, I don't think the average uh, person as I, you know, interact with them understands that, like, all the laws regarding weed are based in racism. And, <laughs> and, 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 and that is something that is, like, it just needs to be reconciled and something that I'm more than happy to speak about and directly support causes that are trying to combat that. But, um, no, it's, it's terrible, uh, you know? And, and the more you live in America, the more I live in America, someone from another country, the more you just see, like, oh, like, everything's based in racism. Like, it's all, yes. it's, it's not just weed. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's a lot, you know? <laughs> it it's, can be really overwhelming. And yeah. I, I agree. I don't think a lot of people understand just how grounded in racism and sort of protecting white supremacy that all of this anti marijuana legislation is and the ways in which they really try to restrict people in states where it's legal from doing business, uh, you know, with the all cash thing and you can't put your money in a bank. And, um, you know, how do you reconcile just some of the realities of the history of weed and the progressive states in the U.S. where it's legal? And as a white man, as someone with some privilege, you get to enjoy this kind of entrepreneurship. But so much of the country is still just so ass backwards. Is that something that you struggle with at all? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's something that we have woven into the fabric of what we are doing mm -hmm. and something that we would never have presumed to, you know, venture into this field without acknowledging it. I do think that I can help contribute positively to the yeah. world of weed and the weed market and landscape. I think mm -hmm. that it's a big, scary world for a lot of people. I think that people could use guidance. I think there are products that just make the lives and of, of people who smoke weed easier. And I think that all that does have an effect on destigmatizing weed and um, mm -hmm. and making it overall seem ridiculous that, that it is um, illegal at all and used to imprison people at all um mm -hmm. there's obviously like inherently conflict at play i also have a tv yeah. show on amazon i feel a lot of conflict about that you know like i think there's, <laughs> we there's... can get into that yeah i mean um, it, you know i think about that a lot as a writer i maybe half of my income might come from amazon yeah and, and i struggle i struggle with that because there are oftentimes calls to take your books yeah. off of Amazon or not to promote anything via Amazon. You know, I've written short stories for them. I have a sold a TV show to them. Yeah. And it's hard. It is hard. And, you know, I always think, okay, so this is where I sort of run up against my own inconsistencies and that sort of, okay, this might be my weakness. I don't know that I can walk away from this opportunity. I just don't. And I struggle with that quite a lot. It's hard. But and then I think, like, my books are through HarperCollins, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Like, there's just very <laughs> few ways to be creative without being connected to evil at at a certain level. It's very <laughs> true. I mean, it's and it is just it is capitalism, which is not. Mm -hmm. And I it do is. take a step back and I think, like, yes, I have subscribed to live in a capitalist country and to participate in that system. And is it something that I, you know, I'm from a much more socialist country and and i left it to, to, to come here um and make more money um and and have a bigger cultural impact with my work as well you know but for sure i mean i think i know a lot of creative people who that is a source of a lot of conflict in their lives yeah it is a real dilemma and yeah. i don't have any magical answers at all other than yes that's my dog capitalism and just trying to do my best. That, I have a slightly, well, not slightly, I have a much more lighthearted question. <laughs> I know you guys sell a couple varieties of houseplant. <laughs> Diablo Wind, Pancake Ice. What goes into coming up with names for different strains of weed? <laughs> it's somewhat, we use weather systems. Uh, that is like ah. 100% of our naming convention is weather systems. And it's all based on Pineapple Express a movie mm -hmm. we made a long time ago, which I is a so. weather I wasn't 100% sure, yeah. but I thought so. Um, so, yeah, because and we got that name because we're from the Pacific Northwest, and we would always mm -hmm. hear about the Pineapple Express was coming in, and we were always like, man, that's just a cool name. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then 
And then as we started naming other strains, we I, I mean, I think I remember just like Googling like weather system names. And then we were like, oh, there's a lot of really cool names on here. And it kind of follows our own little philosophy. But the, the truth is that it, it is completely made up a lot of it. Some of it is mm-hmm. combinations of na- of the strains in some way, but those are made up as well. Um, we, we used to have a scene in Pineapple Express that was cut out where someone like the, where the main dealer guy was like naming the strains. And it was just him just like Da Vinci's brush. Uh, purple people eater you know uh, you know it is just it is completely it's whatever you think it's like that joke in the wire where they're always selling like the it's like it always it has a new name every season the the Mm -hmm. pandemic yeah (laughs) from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip i thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board this is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Now, you mentioned that you came here for a few reasons, but to have a greater cultural impact. Do you feel thus far in your career that you've had the cultural impact you would like to? I think we've had. I, I mean, I, I think I look at um, the fact that a lot of the movies we've made have are still around and they're still movies that people talk about. And when people talk about their favorite comedies, I'm amazed still at how often movies I've contributed to in some way, either very directly or somewhat indirectly, but still I'm a part of them um, are like on that list of like the kind of movies that define comedy for a certain, you know, age group. Um, and, and also I meet 18 year olds who like super bad is one of their favorite movies still, which um, is, is again, it's shocking to me, but um, I think like, 
I, I can't deny now in a way that is nice that like a lot of the stuff we've done has stood the test of time and, and it's kind uh -huh. of woven its way into cinematic culture or North American culture. I don't even know how you would, I think it's so global at this point that it's hard to, it, uh, it's hard to define it, I think. But uh, it's amazing how often I'll go on Twitter and McLovin is trending for some reason. I see that <laughs> and, all the time. I know on the day of his birthday on his fake license, his fake of course, birthday, is always a good DJ day. There's some DJ named McLovin on some radio show. Mm -hmm. Blake Griffin's wearing McLovin shoes. Like, and it, it's just, and it's one of those things where I'm just like, it's still, like, this is a joke we wrote when we were I think 15 years old and like it, it's I'm oh I'm 40 in a couple months and it's like it's still and to what I'm saying about getting better like I can't say I've come up with a much funnier joke in the last 25 years <laughs> oh my, well I mean it is a, if that's your peak at 15 yeah. it's, a, it's a good peak it's it is good. a good peak because it still works I mean I, every so. time super bad's on TV and, and I catch it I just think this is some funny shit mm. and so I think that has to feel good to know like that the work has that kind of longevity because it's been a minute since super bad came out and and people are still, you know, it's still relevant. No, it's totally nice. It was like the WGA just put it on the list of like the 100 best screenplays of the 21st century or something like that. Oh, and it was like, nice. I was, uh, I think it's literally the only one on the list that was not nominated for many awards. <laughs> 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 it was actually nominated for zero awards. Uh, but it's, but that's what I'm also saying about movies. Like it was a joke I made a while ago, but I kind of like, it's like we should be giving Oscar, like the Oscar should be on like a five year lag like because mm -hmm. I, I actually think that is around as much time as it takes to actually understand if a movie is good or not and has mm -hmm. done what it's meant to do or not because I think mm -hmm. there's some movies where like the year they come out it seems like a cultural sensation and then you look back even like two years later and you're like that one best picture like it's no one even thinks about that movie and mm -hmm. then you look at some movie that like got no awards or no one was really talking about it in that way at the time and it's like everyone loves it and every time it's on tv everyone watches it. it's trending on twitter all the time because people are like sharing scenes that they you know and 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 that takes years to really under to, to to define in a lot of ways but people really like to do this stuff fast, I guess. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think people have short memories, yeah. you know, because one of my favorite movies is a movie I saw probably 20, 25 years ago, which was Empire Records, which I loved so much. Me and my and wife just watched that over the last weekend. <laughs> it's so good. And in my phone, I put it as, on an annual reminder that like April, I think it's April 8th. April 8th is Rex Manning it's Day. Rex Manning and Day. I was going through my calendar this morning for some things I'm doing in April. And I was like, oh my God, Rex Manning Day is coming up. Best. <laughs> and that movie was a failure. And oh my god, it was got, a complete like, flop. Terrible reviews. Like it, it was reviewed. It, like I actually went back and was reading the old reviews for it and just being like, "You didn't get it. Like you don't know what you had." <laughs> like it's it holds up so well. It, it's a really interesting. It feels so real. The tone was really good. It's funny. It is very. There's like it's like a very upfront look at like suicide in a lot of ways and mm -hmm. depression and like there's a lot of incredibly heavy themes that are dealt with very like matter of factly it's a great movie and like yeah no. and then it was there was also still that like subplot about like corporate culture taking over yeah. like the good indies which is still a thing totally and, like, and so it's, it, they were yeah, kind of ahead really of their time at the time hated <laughs> yeah <laughs> Now, last year I read your memoir, Yearbook, and at first I was a little hesitant to read it because I have often been disappointed in books from funny people, but I loved it. It was very funny. Thank you so much. And very warm. And so I was wondering if you enjoyed the experience of writing a memoir. I did. I or, really enjoyed it. I guess it. Memor yeah. memoiristic essays. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't... I, I, it, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Um, it was hard. Once I had the stories... The hardest part was like, is this a good enough thing to write about, basically? Yeah. And I think like, and, and honestly, like your book was very inspirational to me, uh, Bad oh, Feminist. You. And I had read some things you had read about essay writing, and it did actually mm -hmm. help me frame it because I actually think you kind of freed me in some ways because I, I've heard you talk about how like they don't have to be these like perfect things you know what i mean like it doesn't have to be like oh and then like the last line wraps it all up yes. you know which was very freeing and actually like i think made me realize that some things that i had 
didn't know how to contextualize perfectly mm-hmm. would maybe still be good stories if I just kind of didn't pretend that there was some bow I was trying to put Absolutely. on it. Absolutely. Know? I find that, and I, I I tell my students this all the time, you only have to give the audience like 85% of what they might want. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to resolve everything for them. And I also, I'm a firm believer in trusting your reader. Yeah. People can put, fill the, they can fill in the blanks or not, but like, let the reader do a little work. They're going to get there. Yeah, it, it was... Uh... I did really enjoy it, and I wasn't sure. I was I was honestly very worried about how um, more than most things I do, I was worried about how it would be received. Mm-hmm. I think, <laughs> um, and and then one of the nice things I realized is that like books in general are just so much less scrutinized than movies. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the great sorrowful truth about writing books, <laughs> which, which was kind of a lovely surprise. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, You know, if you're only a writer, like a book writer, then the amount of scrutiny you get can be incredibly overwhelming. But going from like film where millions and millions of people watch movies to books where thousands of people. There's whole websites dedicated to categorizing your film as good or bad objectively. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it was honestly a pleasant surprise. And I mostly wanted it to be funny. Like I, I mm-hmm. actually like wanted to just like make people laugh. And I felt like I could maybe get it to a place like in our movies where it kind of just gets rolling. And like, you don't even mm-hmm. know like when it happened, you just kind of look back and you're like, Oh, I'm like laughing really hard and have been for a few minutes. Cause I've been like swept up in like the stakes of the story and what's happening and how ridiculous it is. And, and that was like really what I wanted. And that's been like one of the nicest things to see as feedback, just as random people are reading it. And, you know, I'm seeing messages that like, it's a lot of like, I'm like alone by the pool laughing like an idiot Mm -hmm. as people look at me. And that's, and that's like truly the only, and and, and that was when I sat down, I was like, what can I add to this landscape? It's like, I'm not going to write the smartest book. I have not read the most interesting life uh, or, you know, (laughs) led the most interesting life out there. But I feel like, People love super bad and it's very personal mm-hmm. and and it, and it's and, and I think because they can tell it's personal and this all those stakes ascribed to like when those things happen to you as a young person and as you get older and I, and that was really like what I thought I could try to do was like take that energy and 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 expand it into a book which uh yeah i i I really enjoyed i don't think i have any more good stories though. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that struck me the most in the book was the way in which you have been kind of doing the same thing for a really long time and you have surrounded yourself with the same people for a really long time. And and not a lot of people can say that, that their friends at 15 are their friends at as they are nearing 40. Yeah. How have you been able to have that kind of longevity in some of your most intimate relationships? Um. I've been a part of a writing team since I was like 13 years old. And those are very like formative years. And I truly, and me and my partner talk about this a lot. Like I think our brains formed around the idea of like partnership and collaboration and how to create what could be a very long lasting and productive relationship with people Mm -hmm. we've been very geared to it for so long because even at a very young age we were like i think we could do this forever (laughs) like i think i think if we do this right all this fun we're having we're just kind of hanging out and we're smoking weed and making each other laugh and like but we're right and working hard and really with a shared Mm -hmm. goal like i think if we do this right we can keep doing it and and one of the things about it has been like communication and really like navigating the 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 intricacies of these types of relationships and acknowledging that it's a relationship that needs work like any other mm-hmm. relationship you know um and what's funny is like those are conversations that are in some ways very like mature conversations that like me and Evan and uh, Kyle and Ariel are two other people we work with and I went I grew up with them as well and um they're kind of conversations we've been having since like since we were teenagers about like okay I don't like 
this when you work. I need this. I I, 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 I shut down when when you say this to me. You know, I, I I I take it personally when you do this. You might not be meaning that, but I I it hurts my process because I feel like you're really like belittling where I'm coming from creatively. Things like that are like our conversations we've been having for for 25 years now and and i've seen a lot of teams break up and a lot and and our personalities are very compatible and if evan mm-hmm. even remotely was jealous of like the attention that i get in relation to him it would not function, but yes. he just isn't. And if anything, he is thrilled that he doesn't have to deal with that. And that is like, we've, and we talk about that a lot in that, like we have worked very hard, but we are fortunate in that. Like he does have this personality thing where he just is not jealous of the fact that I organically am absorbing a lot of <laughs> the <laughs> attention that surrounds our projects. And I've seen other teams where one of the people is like a performer and the other one isn't, and it becomes very disruptive sometimes. And, <laughs> and, and the, the jealousy really like destroys the, the relationship and, and he's just, nor should he be, but he has never been jealous of the fact that I'm like the famous one and he isn't, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And that's been like a real, like, like that, that's been one of like the most beneficial things I think. Yeah. That's a, that's a blessing because indeed partnerships can go awry when one person gets more attention, at least on one level. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming on my podcast. I have just one last question, which is just uh, the typical last question. What do you have coming up on the horizon creatively? Oh, wow. That's a guy. I'm in this show, Pam and Tommy, which is on Hulu. Yeah, I I just drove by the billboard. Yeah. um, uh, So, yeah, that's on Hulu, February 2nd. Um, I play the guy who stole uh, Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee's sex tape. Um, who was a disgruntled carpenter um, <laughs> and uh, it's a don't piss off your carpenter is one of the morals of the story I mean but, lessons to be learned yes lessons um, to be learned and uh uh, the season three of The Boys is coming out mm-hmm. um, this summer, and we have an animated uh, anthology show based on The Boys that comes out um, uh, before then in March, I believe. So yeah, a lot of a lot of Seth Rogen related content coming your way. <laughs> well, I look forward to it, and also following your continued adventures in pottery. Thank you on so much. Instagram. I'll send you a new vase. I've gotten a lot better. Please do. Yes. I love it, and it's on a, it's on my fireplace mantle. Everyone asks, it, it where'd you get friend. that vase? And then I I do name drop it i do i'm not gonna lie i'm not above it (laughs) thank you so much seth this has been a really just great thank you i appreciate it So that's our conversation with Seth Rogen and, of course, Max barking in the background because he's going through a little barky phase. You can keep up with me and the podcast on social media, on Twitter at R-G-A-Y and Instagram at RoxanneGay74. Our email address is RoxanneGayAgenda at gmail.com if you want to share your thoughts on what you're thinking about the show. From Luminary, the Roxanne Gay podcast is produced by Curtis Fox. Our intern is Yusenia Moreno. Production support provided by Caitlin Adams. I'm Roxanne Gay, your favorite bad feminist. Thank you for listening. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, anytime someone even thinks about looking at this house, Mark Max has something to say about it. It's truly shocking. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.